Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our sermon series in this second letter to the Corinthians. We've entitled the series Strength in Number. Excuse me, Strength in Numbers? I was watching too much basketball last night. Strength in Weakness. Strength in Weakness. And uh, this morning's message is entitled Our Sufficiency. Our Sufficiency. And I want to read the text to you on the front end. Because the Apostle Paul, writing to a church in southern Greece in the first century, asks a question that is relevant to our church in Miami, South Florida, in the 21st century. So listen carefully, church, to God's word. I'm beginning in 2 Corinthians 2, 16b. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter of, from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Apostle Paul begins this text by asking a question, who is sufficient in 16b? And he ends this text by saying, we are sufficient. We are sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Says that in 3 6. What is he talking about? What is this new covenant that God makes us sufficient of? The new covenant is simply what we were speaking of last week. Remember the image? We're in this procession, this triumphal procession, and we're waving these incensed censers, and we are spreading the fragrance of Christ's triumph everywhere we go. That's the new covenant. Another way of saying it, the new covenant is the gospel. What, what, what Paul is saying here, what I'm arguing from this text to you, that I hope I can convince if I'm speaking to the jury, you're the jury, and I'm saying, jury members, I want you to be convinced of this. You ready? Here it is on the screen. God makes us sufficient to declare and demonstrate the gospel as ministers of the new covenant. God makes us sufficient to declare and demonstrate the gospel as ministers of his new covenant. That word sufficient has a range of meaning that includes adequate, capable, worthy. Do you believe that God has made you sufficient to declare and demonstrate the gospel as ministers of the new covenant? Or are you just trying to survive next week with your children? Can he do both? Can he actually make us 
sufficient to partner with him to declare and demonstrate the gospel, to preach the gospel, to live the gospel? Or do you, like most of us, live with this lingering, low-grade fever of feeling insufficient? Al, you're, you're asking me if I think God can make me a sufficient minister of the new covenant, if I can preach the gospel and live the gospel sufficiently. I don't even know if, if it's working in me sufficiently right now when I look in the mirror every morning. Well, I want to argue what Scripture argues. I want to make a case for what God is saying. I want you as the jury to say, yes, I believe that at the end of this sermon, that God can make me sufficient to declare and demonstrate the gospel as ministers of his new covenant. Even in a world where it's so difficult right now to do this, in a world where it seems like the definitions of things like love and truth and humanity are being wildly changed beyond anything we could ever imagine. A minister of the new covenant in a world that says that love no longer includes sacrifice, that, that the, the cruciform definition of love, which is love is defined by Christ dying on the cross for you and me, for his people. We reject that. No, no, no. Love today is loving me. Don't ask me to sacrifice. Don't ask me to suffer. If you love me, you affirm me, and you give me everything I want. That's the prevailing winds today. And I'm the minister of the gospel in that world. I'm the minister of the gospel who's sufficient to speak into a world that has redefined truth from being objective and as Christians being focused on this word to truth now being subjective and focused in here. In a world where it says my truth is true, and that's truth, I'm going to be a minister of the new covenant when my workmates, my classmates, my neighbors, my children... My grandchildren believe radically different about truth. I'm going to bring them truth of the Bible. I'm going to be rejected. I might get fired. God's going to make me a sufficient minister of the gospel in a world that has redefined personhood. Away from what the Bible says we're made in the image of God, that God assigns to us our sex, that God assigns to us our humanity. We're made in his image, and now I can define myself any way I want. In a world that has taken self and placed self on the throne and removed God from the throne. I'm going to be a sufficient minister in that world? Yes. Yes. Because what God says at the end, the, the crucial period and point of this sermon is that it is God who makes us sufficient. All right, let's see if the text supports that. How does God make us sufficient ministers of the new covenant in this world that I just described? Number one, God commissions us. God commissions us. Let's look at the text carefully here. God commissions us. Look at 2, 16b and 17. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul says that we are sufficient because of 
Who has commissioned us? God has commissioned us, and he brings this truth to us by way of contrast. There are two different groups contrasted in verse 17. You can put verse 17 up there. The first are what Paul calls peddlers of God's word. Peddlers of God's word. And the second are those he calls men of sincerity commissioned by God. Let's talk about the peddlers of God's word. In that day, there were people who instead of worshiping God, used God and his word to enrich themselves. This word peddlers has a range of meaning that includes the following definition by Guthrie in his commentary. On the screen, backstreet peddler, carrying on an illicit business, cheating people for his profit, opportunist, ministering for their own profit, who sell their teaching like tavern keepers, and most of them mix their wine with water and misrepresent it. Keeping that definition on the screen, what he's talking about here are two kinds of people, and today I think those two people still exist in the church. The first group is the group that is going to use you and use people to profit themselves. They could care less about the congregation. They could care less about the people. They just want lots of people because lots of people means lots of fame and lots of fortune. They want money. They're they're after their own profit, not the profit of others. They're not servants, they're serpents. And they abound today. But the second group is a little harder to, to, to identify. Those are the tavern keepers in that definition up on the screen who mix their wine with water and misrepresent it. Now, there's nothing worse than taking a good wine and mixing it with water and misrepresenting it. But what they do is they water down the gospel. They say, here is some wine, and they use the name of Jesus, and they use Christian terms, and then they so redefine them, they so water them down, that it's no longer Christianity. Love no longer is defined by the cross. It's no longer defined by sacrifice. It's defined by me. The difficult doctrine of the love of God is a great book by D.A. Carson. The difficult doctrine of the love of God. It's about that thin. And it strikes at the core of what we're experiencing today, that God is a God of love, and God is a God of holiness, and wrath is part of love. And Jesus is the place on the cross where God's judgment and God's mercy meet. They kiss at the cross, and you cannot know love unless you know Christ dying on the cross in horrible agony and sacrifice. That is a good wine. Let us not water it down by removing the suffering. So he's talking about these two groups who lead us astray, who are not commissioned by God, but are commissioned by man, who are not sufficient, versus the other group commissioned by God in the text. Put it back up there, verse 17. 
For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Very important. Keep that up there. That last, those last words there. Commissioned by God, comma, in the sight of God. So we're commissioned by God. Therefore, every time we speak, as I stand up here to speak to you, I am accountable to God. I'm commissioned by God. Every word I speak is going to be before God. He is the one who's commissioned to me, therefore I'm accountable to him. These, these individuals were that very much so. And, and we speak in Christ. What, what he's saying here is that these are people who have a deep relationship, a deep personal relationship with Christ Jesus. They, they, they are commissioned, they love people, they're there for people. Their heart is to serve the people, not to be served. Their, their heart is to be made poor, that the people might be made rich. They're there to be used up for the sake of the people, not to use the people up for their sake. So what's your point, Al? Here's my point. You are those people. See, you're asking me. How can I be sufficient in a world that's so crazy right now? You know why you're sufficient? Because God's commissioned you, and I know you. I know you're commissioned. I know you, church. I know that you're accountable to God for what you say. It's what makes Gerard so nervous when he gets up here and speaks. By the way, you did much better today, Gerard. You were so calm. But it's nerve-wracking, isn't it, buddy? Thinking, am I going to say something wrong here? Because I, I could care less about what these people think of me. I care about what he thinks of me. I've said some crazy things up here, and people call me on it. Thank you. Keep calling me on it. But I'm accountable to God for how I preach this. And I know that's you. You care deeply about what you believe. I, you, you, you ask me for my commentaries from my library, and somehow you plow through these thick commentaries with Greek and Hebrew. God bless you. You know why you do that? Because you really want to make sure you're accountable for what you're saying to your children. I have so much respect for you. That makes you sufficient. You may not have a PhD. You may not be the greatest rhetorician. In other words, the person who can come up and make a great argument. But listen, you're sufficient because you are accountable to God. And you're sufficient because you care about people. You have a deep relationship with Christ. That's what makes you sufficient. Oh, please, please hear this. Please believe me. God makes you sufficient because he's commissioned you. And number two, God makes you sufficient because he's qualified you. Point two, he's qualified you. Our dear friends, uh, Raphael and Shailene Gavilan, are driving back from Virginia right now. They spent the weekend there because their son, Elias, just graduated from the Marine Corps Infantry Officer Basic Course. Yeah, who indeed? The Marine Corps Infantry Officer Basic Course. The infantry is not quite as smart as the artillery. Artillery being the king of battle, infantry being the queen of battle. But we're not going to get into that because we're not proud when we preach, are we? I was a field artillery officer, so that's why I'm going through all that. <clears throat> I am proud, all right? Um, what's my point with all this? Other than boasting. Here's the point. Here's the illustration I'm trying to make. 
God not only commissions us, but he qualifies us. Elias, in September, was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. This weekend, he was qualified as an infantry officer. After being commissioned, he then had to go to a school where he was qualified, and he graduated as now a Marine Corps infantry officer. He had to be qualified. In the same way, God commissions us. You understand you're commissioned. The Great Commission. You're commissioned. You're commissioned to go be ministers of the New Covenant. Not of something you create out of your head, but the New Covenant. You're accountable. And then you're qualified. And you're qualified by God. And this is how he qualifies you. He writes people in your heart so he can then use you to write his word on their hearts. On the screen. God qualifies us in the following manner. God employs us to write his word on his people's hearts. God employs us to write his word on his people's hearts. You want to know your qualification? Your qualification is that, buddy, if you're a Christian, God has employed you to write his word on people's hearts, not just on the pages of the Chicago Sun-Times about the bears. (laughs) Sorry, I get easily distracted, Jason. Welcome to warm South Florida. <laughs> but he, he, he employs us to write his word on people's hearts. How the heck does he do that? How does God do that? How can God bring me into the family business of writing his word on people's hearts? Why would he do that? How does he do that? Here's how he does it. He first writes them on your heart. All right, let's see if the scripture sustains this argument. Look at 3.1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts. You got that? To be read by all. And you show, verse 3, that you are a letter from Christ... Delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Let's unpack that. How does God qualify us? He qualifies us by employing us in the family business that he started at the beginning when mankind fell. God said, I will redeem you, and the way I'm going to redeem you is I'm going to make your dead heart of stone into a living heart of flesh, and then on that heart, I'm going to write my word, and that means I'm going to enable you to obey my word that you disobeyed at the beginning, thus incurring my wrath rightly and the curse rightly. But I am going to change that through one who will bless the nations Mickey prayed about him. That is Christ. And I'm going to employ you. I do the writing, but I'm going to use you to speak the word. That's why we're qualified. That's what it says in verses 1 and 2. That God first writes people on our hearts. Look at verse 2 again, up on the screen. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. There were no printing presses in the first century. So to read the newspaper, 
someone would write it on a manuscript, and then typically someone with a good voice, maybe the gift of dramatic reading, would stand in the center of the city and they would read it. And that's how people would read a book. Someone would read it to you. In Paul's day, that was very common. He's saying, you're the book that qualifies us for being ministers of the new covenant because God has written you on our hearts. Unlike those peddlers of God's word who could care less about you, God has written you on our hearts. We carry you on our hearts. I would give my life for you. I've been praying for you and crying for you. I sent Titus to you to find out how you're doing, and I'm waiting for him to come back. I would give everything. How are you doing? You want to know why you're sufficient for gospel ministry, Palm Vista? Because I know you. Because I know that God has written people on your hearts. And you would give your life for them. Now, I'm going to miss people when I use some names right now. And I'm sorry for that. Just allow these names to represent you. Because everybody I know at Palm Vista it lives this out. God has written people in your hearts. And you love them, whether it's your fellow church members, whether it's the guest that came in this morning or the person that walks by you in the street. It's, it's a quality of Palm Vista. There's a relational quality that you carry people in your hearts, often at great expense, because it hurts to carry people in your heart. It's dangerous to carry people in your heart. It's vulnerable to carry people in your heart. It's much easier to just peddle God's word and be emotionally just shielded from that. But it's just not Christianity. I think of the Haldresses. They carry the youth on their heart. Think of the Gonzales. For years, how they would carry community groups, and often, sorry, Marcos, community groups that were, that were in bad shape. Hey, Marcos, can you and Becky go in there? <laughs> well, what train hit me last night? <laughs> you know, we've joked about the Abegs. This, is, this sounds creepy, but it's like it, most people in Palm Vista have your fingerprints on them. Okay, I'm not talking about that, all right? But, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, it's like Claudia is like a mom to so many. She just, like, embraces people. They carry people on their hearts. Think of the bushes. I mean, what's the, the quality here? This young couple with 45,000 children that constantly <laughs> injure themselves, crash into mountains, got magnets on their head. I mean, you know, it's like... <laughs> and they just carry you on their hearts. Right? That's the letter of recommendation. Punto. That's their qualification. We, we are totally dysfunctional as a church, but we carry people in our hearts. I think, I think of Sergio, who's not feeling well this morning. And if only you knew what this guy, how this guy weeps for you in prayer. He's leading the men's ministry. Just He, he has a list. He's like me. He wakes up at like 3.30 every morning because we're old men, okay? That's it, man. We don't sleep anymore. And he just starts praying and praying and praying. That's your sufficiency, church. It's not how well you can speak or whatever. It's that. It's a privilege to serve with you. And then, then, He says, now that I've put them on your heart, now I'm going to use you to write my words on their heart. 
And here's the gospel. Listen, if you don't pay attention to anything else in the sermon, pay attention right now. This is the gospel because verse 3 is the gospel. Look at this. And you know that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What Paul is referring to here is the Old Testament promise of the new covenant. Look at, look at Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 on the screen. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. A heart of stone is dead. Your heart was dead until God made it alive. Can I do that? No. God does it and then brings me in on the family business to go ahead and write his word on it by preaching it accurately. Remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, indicating a heart that's alive. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We're going to see in Jeremiah that the way God does that is he writes his word on our hearts, which is code for saying now you can obey my law. Because it's no longer on you, it's in you. And I put it in you. But I use yahoos like me to write it in you. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And then look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 to 34. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is now talking about the new covenant, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, which again is code for they're going to be able to obey it, because the Spirit is going to do this. Because of what Christ did by dying on the cross for our sins, by raising from the dead for our forgiveness, by ascending into heaven and the Father and the Son pour out the Spirit. This is made possible by Christ. That's why this is the gospel. That's why this is the most important part of the sermon. Verse, uh, the next part of that verse, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. O church, God makes us sufficient by qualifying us when he employs us to write his word on the hearts of people. This is gospel ministry. We are not worthy of it. We do not create it. They are Christ's letter, but he uses us. I don't know why. But that makes us sufficient. And he concludes this section, and I conclude my argument with verses 4 and 6. Back to 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. What what Paul is saying is our confidence is through Christ because he saved us and now he's using us to write his word on your heart and his spirit who is bringing your heart into living, into life through Christ to God, toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Don't you get that church? Believe that church. Your sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. It's another way of saying to declare and demonstrate the gospel together in community. To be the fragrance of Christ's triumph everywhere we go. Synonymous. Those are all synonymous statements. Ministers of a new covenant 
not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. All he's saying there is God's Word, the law, is good. Paul even calls it spiritual in Romans 7. But it cannot give life in and of itself. So the letter by itself brings death. We cannot obey it. So the penalty is death. But God promises to give his spirit. This is the new covenant. So now the law, the word of God, God's word with God's spirit brings life. It's not just something on you that you have to do. It's something in you that you want to do because God has made your stony heart a heart of flesh. And we get to partner with God in that. Not because we deserve it, but because he brings us on and qualifies us and commissions us and blesses us. Here's the appeal, church. God makes us sufficient to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ as ministers of the new covenant. He does this by his spirit, church. He does this by grace, church. And what this means for you, unbeliever, and I just take a breath, slow down, and speak to you. I don't know why I always look at the camera because I imagine someone watching somewhere who's not a Christian but is intrigued by this. Here's the promise that God promised long ago that for his people, he would turn their heart of stone into a heart of flesh and give you a spirit. And what that means for you this morning is that suddenly when your heart was cold and dead toward God, it's not important to you and you don't really understand it. Suddenly right now, your heart's getting warm and you're starting to understand it. And suddenly right now, it's starting to make sense to you. And God is turning, perhaps, your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And by his spirit, he's beginning to write his word on your heart. And you're beginning to realize, oh, wow, I want to obey God's word. This is how you obey God's word. Repent and believe. Roxanne didn't know that I was going to end with those words. God began speaking that word to you in her prayer. She was speaking to Christians that are wrestling with sin, but she's also speaking to non-Christians. Because this command, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. You know how he started? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. Repent of your kingdom, bow your knee to Christ, and he gains you entrance to God's kingdom. And for Christian, my fellow Christians, <laughs> what this means, the, the application, is that God is the one who commissions us, Therefore, God is the one who qualifies us to be ministers of his new covenant. He does the work of making dead hearts alive, hard hearts soft, disobedient hearts obedient. And he employs us. He makes us sufficient in Christ, by his grace, through his word. You know why we're sufficient? Because God's word is sufficient. That's what he's given us. As we go to prayer, as the worship team joins me here, church, God makes the unqualified qualified, the incompetent competent, the inadequate adequate, the insufficient sufficient by his spirit, through his grace, so that we can sing together this morning, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would do your work, your amazing work your amazing grace. 
How sweet the sound. As I, as I turned to, to tell Mickey it was time for him to pray, he couldn't see me because he was crying so hard. As your spirit was working on that man's heart. Singing this very song. How can we say thanks, Lord? Those of us with hard, dead hearts of stone that you turn into hearts of flesh. Those of us who were rebels running from your word, you you wrote it on our hearts, Jesus, through your death and resurrection and ascension and the spirit that you poured out upon us so that we want to obey it. We don't always obey it. We're we're delivered from from the power and the penalty of sin, but the presence of sin is still there. We still fight it. But we want to obey it. And one day we'll, we're, we're going to receive that inheritance that Mickey prayed about, the nations. And it's not because we earned it, but you earned it, Jesus. But then you share it with us. Thank you for making us sufficient to declare and demonstrate the gospel as ministers of your new covenant. May we believe it, even as we sing this song of confession. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and let us sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let me just highlight a couple of verses. Verse 3, Marcos, verse 3. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, listen to this church on the screen. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. That's a theme, church. The Holy Spirit is speaking that theme to us, Christian. Your sin has been defeated. There's still a fight, but he's a defeated foe. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's start with verse 3, Gary, and then we'll go back to verse 1, okay? Can we do that? All right, let's sing.